We have today a contender for Father of the Year. As a quick recap of his achievements so far, this fella tricked his brother out of his inheritance, deceived his father for the family blessing, cheated his uncle in business, picked favourites between his wives and his children, and with such a great track record, he fathered a dysfunctional family. Father of the Year contender? Maybe not. But he is our central character today in Genesis 34. Jacob, son of Isaac, son of Abraham, the great patriarch of the Jews, renamed Israel by God and father of the 12 tribes of the Old Testament. As is our practice here, uh, we've been working our way through the book of Genesis and we're up to a really difficult passage. And right away, I want to recognise that this passage can bring up really painful memories for some. Chapter 34 starts with unbridled lust and ends with unbridled vengeance. It's a chapter with horrifying abuse and sin, a chapter where God's not even mentioned, which is telling, a chapter where it's hard to say anything good about any of the characters except maybe Dinah. It's the sort of passage that we're tempted to just skip over. But this is a passage that helps us to make sense of the world that we live in. For structure, there are two things that we're going to explore today. Firstly, we open the Bible and we see the world for what it is. The depravity of the human heart. Sin that takes what it wants, no matter the consequences. The human condition that hasn't improved over the years. And secondly, we see God patiently, faithfully, graciously working out his purposes despite the sinfulness of people. We open this passage and we see all the broken mess of a sinful world and we ask quite rightly, are these really God's people? Surely not. But then, despite the mess, we see our great God, faithful to his promise. We see one worthy of our hope and our trust. In our series through Genesis, we've been looking at chapters 12 through 50, where we zoom into Abraham's family line, God's chosen people, the family that would be blessed and be a blessing to all nations. And what we observe is not what we would expect. Time and time again, throughout the Genesis account, we see a story of human failure met with God's faithfulness. We pick up now with Jacob, steward of the promise passed down through Isaac and Abraham before him. Jacob, who had met God back in chapter 28 in a place called Bethel, where God reiterated his promise in a really important verse. I'm going to read it now. Genesis 28, verse 15. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. Jacob was to leave Bethel, find a wife that wasn't a Canaanite, and then return. And here we are at the end of chapter 33, around 20 years later, with Jacob finally returning to Bethel. But in an act of partial obedience, he stops 
about 20 miles short of where he promised God that he would go. The disobedient Jacob buys land, sets up shelters, and in doing so puts his family in danger. And that's the context as we open chapter 34 today. 20 years late, 20 miles short. Verse 1. Dinah goes out to visit the women of the land. Dinah is the daughter of Jacob's less favoured wife, Leah. And she seems to be neglected by her father. In that culture and still today in many ways, the father was the guardian of his children. Jacob was instructed by God not to mix with the Canaanites and yet here Dinah was left by her father to go out and explore this town that he'd parked them in. It's at this point that we read of awful abuse, the rape of Dinah by Shechem. This is a pagan man given over to his sinful desires with sin all grown up. He displays an uncontrollable lust that says, I will take what I want. Sexual sin with devastating lifelong consequences. This is a really confronting thing to read of and a really hard reality to live with for far too many people. Jacob, our father of the year, who let her go out in the first place, how did he react when he heard of this horrible incident? Did he go out to protect her, to get her back, to comfort her? Did he go and confront her abuser to defend his daughter in her time of need? No. Verse 5. When Jacob heard that his daughter Dinah had been defiled, his sons were in the fields with his livestock, so he did nothing. He did nothing. Just when he was needed, he was passive and useless. In our narrative, it's Hagar, the father of Shechem, who tries to broker a peace, going out to talk to Jacob. Jacob's sons come home and they are rightly enraged. But their rage, in their rage, they take matters into their own hands. And so we read of their devious plan. They lie, agreeing to settle in the town, to intermarry and to trade with them on one condition, that all the males be circumcised. The terms are agreed to. The males are circumcised and three days later, while they're still sore and defenceless, we read of another awful event. The mass murder of every male in the city, including all the innocent among them. These two of Jacob's sons are apples that did not fall far from the tree. Jacob was devious, tricking Esau out of his birthright tricking his father into giving him the blessing. And now Jacob's own sins that had never been fully dealt with were all grown up in his sons. A devious plan followed by mass murder and plunder. Our father of the year, Jacob, had modelled deceit to his children. Our father of the year had not taught restraint or self-control. Our father of the year, Jacob, was passive just when he was needed to lead, defend and protect his daughter. Our father of the year was only partially obedient to where God wanted him to go. 20 years late, 20 miles short. And now all about him, the mess. The tragic consequences of sin, all grown up. This is hard-hitting stuff. 
and it hits pretty heavy. <laughs> Obedience matters. God makes the way we should live quite clear, and when we don't, things get messy. Our disobedient father of the year saw the consequences of his own actions, and we do too. The Bible does not gloss over the mess of sin. And as we read of these events, and perhaps we pass judgment on these despicable characters, their failings are all too easy to see. Here we see the sinfulness of people up close and real. And we reflect that the apple does not fall far from the tree for us either. The human condition has not improved. The mess, the broken relationships, the tragic consequences of our sin are all too evident. So for a moment we pause and we reflect on our own failings. Abuse and murder? Maybe not. What about deceit, white lies, omission to paint ourselves in a good light? Anger, harsh words, judgment, taking things into our own hands. Maybe it's passive indifference, not being present just when we're needed, not available in a time of need. Maybe partial obedience to God's call in our lives, knowingly stopping short of what, because of our own wants and desires. The Bible speaks to what we are like, and we are more like Jacob than we'd like to admit. For a moment, we sit in this self-reflection, and I know that's heavy. How are you going with your anger? How are you going with your words? How are you going in loving those who are hard to love? How are you going in your marriage, in your parenting? How are you going when no one's watching? What about those sins in your life that others may not know about? Are you working on them or letting them fester to grow up into something worse? We are more like Jacob than we are not. After all these horrific events concerning this dysfunctional family, we once again read the reaction of our father of the year, Jacob, in verse 30. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have brought trouble on me by making me obnoxious to the Canaanites and Perizzites, the people living in this land. We are few in number, and if they join forces against me and attack me, I and my household will be destroyed. But they replied, should he have treated our sister like a prostitute? Remember, this is the great patriarch, Jacob, the leader of God's people. You might think he'd be worried about God's reputation in the land, maybe concerned with God's promise to bless the nations through his family. But no, he's worried about his own reputation. His hope is not tied up in what God promised to do through his family line, but he's worried about his own little empire that the neighbours might gather together and wipe them out as if God would even let that happen. <coughs> Meanwhile, the sons are busy justifying their own murderous rampage. Everyone, everyone leaving God out of the picture as sin spirals getting worse and worse and worse. 
So here at the end of chapter 34, we might ask, are these really God's people? God's chosen family who would be blessed and one day be a blessing to all nations? Who should we side with in this? There's not much good to say about any of the characters, least of all the chosen leader, Jacob. Jacob's life is one long list of failure. He failed and he failed and he failed again. But in the surrounding chapters, as we read of Jacob's life, we don't just see his failings. We actually see one long list of God's faithfulness, despite this dodgy father figure. Looking back to chapter 25, God chose Jacob. The older will serve the younger. In chapter 26, God appeared twice to Isaac and personally restated his promise through Jacob. There was chapter 28 where God met Jacob at Bethel, I read it earlier, and said, I am with you, I will keep you, I will bring you, I will not leave you. Chapter 31, God said to Jacob, go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives and I will be with you. And chapter 32, where Jacob received God's blessing. God just keeps showing up for this fella. And now he shows up yet again, after all the mess. Chapter 35, verse 1. Then God says to Jacob, go up to Bethel and settle there and build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. God's not even mentioned in the preceding chapter, and yet God's been there working out his purposes the whole time. Despite all the mess, the faithful God of the Bible stands by his people even when they least deserve it, and they didn't deserve it. We may look at this family and want justice. This is not okay. They should get what they deserve. Why does God bother with Jacob and this dysfunctional family? In the context of the whole Bible narrative, we know the rest of this story. God continues to work out his purpose to bless Jacob, to bless his family. His line continues all the way to Jesus of Nazareth, born in Galilee. The whole Bible points to Jesus as the fulfillment of the promise, the one through whom all nations on earth can be blessed restored to God through faith. God does not simply overlook sin. It's not swept aside and forgotten. Instead, as we read on, the sins of all humanity, all of Jacob's sins, all of his family, all of your sins, all of mine, are piled up into one great big stinking heap. And on the cross, the punishment for all that filth is poured out on his son, Jesus. The wrath that we deserved, paid in full with his blood. That's the promise fulfilled for those who put their trust in Jesus as Lord and King. God perseveres with Jacob for you and for me. What a remarkable faithfulness that is. We are 
more like the sinful father of the year Jacob than we are not. We are sinners that do not deserve God's blessing. The God who chose Jacob and kept Jacob in all the mess will keep us too in all the mess of this life. Ultimately, what this passage shouts from the rooftops is that God keeps his promises not because of the merits of us, his people, but because of the merits of his son. And isn't it such a rich and deep and wonderful thing that all these years later, God perseveres with us. God continues to pour out his blessing for the good of those who love him. So in chapter 34, the truth about the human condition is laid out in all its ugliness. There is not one of us who stands before a holy God. The reality of sin and its consequences might lead us to despair. But the Bible does not leave us there. Instead, it gives us hope. Hope that doesn't depend on us, but on a promise-keeping God. Hope that leads to dependence on his promises despite our own failings. Hope through repentance and faith in Jesus alone that rejoices in all he has done. Look with me at Jacob's response now. After all the mess, after God shows up yet again and Jacob realises that God is still with him just like he promised. Verses 2 and 3. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were there with him, get rid of your foreign gods you have with you and purify yourselves and change your clothes. Then come, let us go up to Bethel, where I will build an altar to God who answered me in my day of distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. This is a fine moment for Jacob. I've perhaps been a bit harsh on him so far, but Jacob responds wonderfully to the gracious faithfulness of God, the one who answered him and has been with him. This moment of good character for Jacob is only made possible because of the unwavering character of God revealed to him. Jacob was met by a faithful God. And that made all the difference. As we respond to our great God, who has gone with us, who perseveres with us, we observe Jacob with interest, the putting away of idols, the repentance and new clothes of righteousness, finally going where God told him to go, knowing that God goes with him praising God with joy for his grace so richly given. Jacob shows a right response of obedience and praise because of the merciful God who saves. Human failing met by a gracious God, our Heavenly Father, the real Father of the year throughout all of history. So what do we take from this passage Surely the impossible application here is to just try harder at obedience. Just try harder to avoid being like these people. Just try harder. 
Another impossible application is to just marvel more. Just marvel more at God's faithfulness and perhaps that will rub off on us. Just marvel more. Now the application here is that our sinfulness must be met by God's faithfulness. We bow down in repentance, confessing our sin before him. We invite him in to break us and remake us to be more like his son. In our weakness, we cry out, Lord, make me new. Help me trust you more and more. Help me to grow in obedience, in repentance and faith. Help me to overflow with joy as I see your grace so richly given to me, a sinner. God's grace that meets our sin and transforms us from the inside out. Grace that grows us in obedience. Grace that helps us marvel more and more at the giver. Our only hope is to have faith in a faithful God. That he who promised to save and to bless and to keep will keep his promise. And we go on responding in that way. A sinful people met by God's faithfulness. The Lord God Almighty who keeps his promises. How about we pray now in response? Lord, we want to thank you for this passage, though confronting and something that we would like to skip over. We thank you that the Bible shows us the ugliness of sin all grown up. Lord, we live in a sinful world and we're well aware of the consequences of sin all around us, in our own lives and in the lives of those that we love. Lord, help us not to despair. Help us to entrust the injustice of this world to you, the just God. Help us to come before you in repentance for our own sin and to look to Jesus in thankfulness who made full payment on our behalf. Lord, we thank you for the cautionary tale of Jacob and his family recorded here for us. Gracious Lord, help us to grow in obedience to be more interested in your agenda than our own. Lord, help us to grow in dependence and that our safety and security would be found in you and not in the things of this world. Lord, we pray that we would see afresh your faithfulness, your grace, your undeserved favour towards us. Lord, in your great mercy, meet our sinfulness with your faithfulness and that we would know the blessing of being found in you, forgiven and free. Lord, help us to live in that blessing with great joy and thanksgiving. And would we marvel as we see you at work. Lord God, help us to move towards you all of the days of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.